Welcome back to another episode of Leading With Your Gut. I'm your host, Jenna Renee Shulman. Today is Wednesday, August 19th. It's about 9.30 p.m. here in Seattle, Washington. I just watched um, the speakers tonight for the Democratic National Convention, and they're so good. Uh, well, I watched obviously Kamala Harris. I watched Elizabeth Warren and former President Barack Obama. And damn, I just, I, I miss listening and watching competency. And they, their messages were, were, were definitely very strong. Um, I really liked Kamala's message about her mom and everything that she has, has, has fought for in her story. Um, and I really do, I really do believe that Kamala and Biden will do, will do right by our country. I think that if they are elected, um, they're going to do the best that they can. There's a lot of damage that's been done, um, from Trump and they will do the best that they can. So, um, this little message right here is to remind all of you to vote. Um, and you know what, if, if you're not enjoying what I'm saying about, uh, Kamala and Biden, how they need to be in, uh, the, the white house right now and how Trump needs to get out. Um, I am not your podcast host for you. So, you know, the last, you know, three years have been, terrifying for a lot of people, particularly this last year. And it's just been even more overt and more obvious as to um, how this administration has completely failed um, almost everybody except uh, those who are extremely, extremely privileged. So um, my message right here is to please make sure that you will vote and please make sure that your mom votes and your dad votes and your cousin votes and your best friend votes and everybody votes and, um, be vocal and, you know, and encourage others, you know, to, to, to vote for Biden and to vote for Kamala. And here's the thing. I know that, um, Biden was not a favorite and I understand that he, he wasn't my choice. Um, yeah, of course I'm a little skeptical of some of the things that he's done and, and whatnot. But here's the, here's the other thing is that I do think that for the most part, he does act with integrity. And the best part of all is that he's highly qualified and experienced. Um, and with that, I feel very confident that he will run this country well. I feel confident that he will choose a very strong cabinet, um, to help him get this country back on track. I feel very confident in Kamala. Honestly, she should have been the front runner. Um, I know that there are things about her as well when she was a prosecutor, um, you know, that maybe you don't agree with and I don't agree with either. But at the end of the day, I do believe that she is for the people and I do believe that she wants to do better and I do believe that she will do better. And she, like Joe, is very qualified. So please vote. <laughs> please vote. We have a few months left until November. Um, we need to get this Cheeto out of the presidency and that whole cabinet needs to go. So please vote. Um, 
federally and please, please vote uh, locally as well. So that's what I was doing um, tonight. Uh, Before I actually get started with the show, um, I actually want to talk a little bit about my podcast um, platform host. It's it's Buzzsprout, um, B-U-Z-Z-S-P-O-U-T, Buzzsprout. Now, a lot of people have reached out to me and said, hey, I really want to start a podcast. Um, Jenna, how did you do it? What did you do? And here's the thing. There are a lot of steps to starting a podcast. And when you get going, it can it can be a little overwhelming, especially if maybe you're just not used to the technology piece, right? There's just a lot that goes into it. And then there's a lot of platforms out there, right? There's Libsyn, um, there's Buzzsprout, now there's Anchor, there's Podbean, there's a lot, right? But you you need a host to be able to um, hold all your podcasts and you need something that's really user-friendly that will also give you analytics and other tools to promote your show. So I, when I started the show, I actually chose Buzzsprout because it was marketed as the easiest way to start a podcast. And I will say now that I'm months into this podcast, it was so easy. <laughs> Buzzsprout was so easy to use and I still use um, Buzzsprout today. Uh, one of the things that I do really like about the platform is that it it is very um the interface is um easy to read it's friendly it's aesthetic um you can easily upload an episode um you can write all your show notes you can see all the stats and analytics for each episode for where you're at for the year um i love creating little sound bites i think those are so fun um you know, before I had my actual website, Leaning With Your Gut, I, I, I created um, a website for my podcast and it's still up today. So with Buzzsprout, you get your own little mini one page, like landing page for your podcast. And at the time, that's like exactly what I needed. Um, Buzzsprout also uh, uh, works with all, partners with all the different directories out there. So the biggest directories, meaning where your where people listen to your podcast, the biggest ones are Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And then there's others. There's, you know, there's Pandora and there's iHeartRadio and there's Stitcher and yada, yada, yada. So Buzzsprout works with all of them. Um, and especially the top three, right? Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Those are the top three podcasts that people listen to. So they go out there. Um, So here's the thing. If you are interested in starting a podcast, and like I said, I've been saying this since I, since I started mine and I've, I've, I've kind of navigated people towards, towards Buzzsprout. Um, I highly recommend that you at least, you know, give it, give it a try. Um, the other thing too, is that I really like the cost. The cost is very low (laughs) and it's very affordable and you can change it at any time. When I first started Buzzsprout, I didn't really know how many hours I would need to like each month or how many hours of podcasting I would produce each month. And so I think I started with the lowest plan, which was like less than $10, I think at the time. Um, and then I increased it and then I increased it some more. And now I decreased it again. So you can change it at any time. And the plans I feel are very, very affordable. Um, 
So that's another another benefit. So something that they have going on right now is um, if you are interested in starting a podcast and you're ready and you really, really just need that right platform to get started, um, they're offering an Amazon $20 gift card um, that you will get when you sign up for Buzzsprout. Now, I think that you have to wait um two billing cycles, meaning two months until they give you the $20 gift card. But um, that's kind of their promotion right now. And you can find the promotional link um, in my show notes. So if you go to my show notes, I'll have a link of where you can click on it and um, you can go ahead and sign up and you'll be eligible for that $20 gift card. So one more time, um, I do highly recommend working with Buzzsprout. Um, it is the easiest way to start a podcast. I had no idea what I was doing when I first got started, and I came across Buzzsprout as as one of the best and the easiest, and I won't be switching um, uh, platforms at all. So if you are interested, um, go to the show notes, click on the link. After, I believe, two billion cycles, you will get the gift card. Okay. Um, Last before I get the show started is um, thank you so much for um, just reviews. Um, I really appreciate the the positive feedback. Um, The show is still rated at five stars, which is really cool. Um, And thanks so much for those of you who follow me on Instagram. Um, It's at leading with your gut or you can follow my personal handle. It's at Jenna Renee Shellman. Um, So thank you. I really, really appreciate you for listening to the show, for sharing the show and um, for being a fan. So on today's show, I actually, it's just me today. Um, I actually want to talk a little bit about my story and how I got started and what leading with your gut means to me. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and, uh, and share my story, um, share my story for you. So I'm actually going to start with, I guess, just how I grew up a little bit. And, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. You know, I grew up in a in a in a biracial home um, and, you know, we were a middle class family. And for the most part, I would consider myself very privileged, at least financially. Um, there were a lot of things that me, my sister and my brother never really had to worry about um, or were totally aware of until we were older that other people struggled with. Um, So I recognize that. I recognize that we grew up um, extremely, extremely privileged, even though we were um, at the forefront of a lot of discrimination for being biracial. Um, So I think I said this in another podcast too, that I was very young when I first realized and first became aware of the fact that my skin was brown and that because my skin was brown, I was different and I was, I was treated 
differently because of the color of my skin. Now, I also recognize too that for being a woman, I was treated differently as well. And, you know, I picked up very early the different types of messages that, you know, little girls would get versus little boys, right? Little girls like pink and they play with Barbies and they play with dolls. And there was this huge emphasis as a little girl to get married. I actually was a bride for (laughs) one of my Halloween costumes. I think I was four. I have a photo of it and I'm wearing a bride outfit and I married my stuffed animal and all my other stuffed animals were there. It was really, it's a cute photo, but you know, just this idealization of, of being a woman and, and being, getting married and having kids was really instilled, um, upon me as a kid. And I'm not saying that this was from my parents. This was just from societal expectations, right? So from a young age, I had all these imprints as to what it would look like for us, for a woman to be successful in this world. And I was taught that, you know, through Disney, which I still love, but through Disney, you know, that women need to find a prince or the prince needs to find her, right? Especially if she leaves a glass slipper. Um, so these were the things that that were in, you know, put in my mind. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, as an adult, I can just say, these are just all systems of the patriarchy. That's literally just what it what it what it was and 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 what it what it is. And I obviously, you know, didn't know any difference. So growing up um, in in Shoreline in a predominantly, you know, white neighborhood, predominantly pretty safe middle class, I would say, neighborhood at the time. Um, For the most part, I had a really good childhood and and great education. But, um, you know, I had those challenges of just being different, of being a woman of color, of being black, um, you know, of being very self-conscious of, you know, my curves as I was getting older, especially after puberty. Um, And I just started feeling already so much shame and embarrassment you know, during the hormonal years, that's when a, a lot of people, regardless of their background, feel that way. And it's a very, it's a very lonely feeling. If those of you have experienced it, I'm sure a lot of you have, it's a very lonely feeling to feel that. And all I wanted to do was fit in. It's like, all I wanted to do was assimilate to what people liked, right? And, and unconsciously, I started recognizing, you know, that um, in terms of beauty, um, the women who were idolized in this country and in, and in a lot of other countries were white women who were very, very thin, um, you know, with some type of blonde hair. And then it turned into, you know, you know, larger breasts and, and like, it, it just kind of like evolved, but it was always this idea of like a very thin white woman or a very like, um, at that point, it wasn't like a curvy woman. It was still like a woman with maybe like fake breasts or something, right? So, you know, I didn't fit into any of those categories, like at all. So, you know, what I wanted to do is assimilate. And for being someone who is black and who is biracial, you know, this idea that brown is beautiful was not a thing. Like it just wasn't a thing that was um, publicized, like at all, Um you know, and it's so funny because, you know, I have the language to speak that now, but I didn't have the language to speak that back then, like at all. 
So, you know, I look at my, at my adolescence and how much I just wanted to fit in. And I was just so miserable being me. I was so miserable um, in my little, you know, 15, 16 year old self, you know, I always thought I was fat. Um, I hated my acne. I didn't know what to do with my hair until I started, you know, getting some like light relaxers. Like I didn't, I didn't, I just like, I just didn't like who I was, you know, and I just wanted to be like people that were liked, right? So um, that was kind of my my adolescent world. And then in college, um, like I mentioned too, I went to a pretty small um, uh, Christian school that was more on the, it was a religious school, but it was more like religiously affiliated. <laughs> like it was not strict, um, in like Pepperdine is. It was like, I, I partied a lot and a lot of people partied a lot and it was whatever. It was fun. I had a great time. But um, when I was 19 uh, years old, I was back in Seattle for the summer. This was my sophomore year. I just turned 19. I was a baby. I was such a baby. And I remember I went back to California to get ready for my sophomore year. And as soon as my parents had dropped me off for college, um, something weird really happened. And I swear it was like right after they dropped me up. And I remember one day I woke up and I had my, my wrists were like really stiff. Like they were stiff and they hurt. And I thought nothing of it because I don't know. I thought that maybe I hit him the night before or whatever. I didn't think anything of it. And the next day I woke up and they're stiff again. Right. And I was like, well, that's weird. Maybe I'm sleeping on them wrong. You know, and then during the day it would go away. And then the next day I woke up and it happened again. And it happened again. And then over time it was like, I would wake up and then like my ankles would hurt. And then I would wake up, you know, and then my knees would hurt and then so on and so on. And so by the time like November hit, um, I would wake up and like my whole body was in so much pain, like so much excruciating pain. Like it felt like a bus hit me or something and it was hard to move. And so for a hot minute, I thought that maybe I was actually like, there was something wrong with me. Like, uh, like maybe my brain was like making up this pain. Like it wasn't real because midday it would all go away. Like it made no sense. And as a 19 year old in California at a, school that was mostly white with a lot of girls from LA who, you know, were were beautiful, these beautiful, blonde, very thin girls. The last thing that I wanted to do was tell my friends and tell other people that I'm waking up like feeling like I can't move. Like that's just the last thing I wanted to do. So I tried really hard to conceal it, but obviously people were like, are you okay? Yada, yada, yada. Cause they started noticing and I didn't really know what to say. And so I told my mom just a little bit about what was going on, but I didn't tell her much. And then when I went back home um, for Christmas, my parents saw me and they were like, oh my God, like what? You need to like see a doctor now. Like this is so bad. And by the time Christmas hit, like I could actually like barely walk. Like it was so bad. Like I almost missed my flight from LAX to Seattle because I couldn't get out of bed. Like it was to the point where I was wondering if I was um, like becoming paralyzed. Uh, so it was really scary. I, you know, thought like maybe I was dying or maybe I had some form of MS or something. And so I went to the doctor and we did a bunch of tests and lo and behold, 
I found out that I had rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune um, disease. It's where basically the cells in your joints attack each other. That's essentially just what it is. Um, all autoimmune diseases are very similar. They're basically all the same thing. It's when your immune system just attacks itself so much. So that was relieving to find out that I did have something that was more on the acute side, um, and that I wasn't going to (laughs) die and that there's medication for it. So that was 19. I was diagnosed. I got medication. The medication worked right away. But even when I went back to school in January, a month later, and even though I was feeling better because the medicine worked really, really well, I still didn't want to be vulnerable or share my story really with anybody. Like I told some of my friends, but I didn't really tell them anything. Like honestly, I kind of lied to them. And the reason being was because I was like, I kind of have a disability now. Um, you know, without this medication, I may not be able to walk. Uh, and at that time I was injecting the medication to me. So I had, I had to give myself shots like twice a week. And I was so insecure about my diagnosis. Like I was 19 years old. All I wanted to do was to have people like me and I just wanted to fit in. And I didn't want people to notice the real me. I didn't want people to notice that I was black. I didn't want people to notice that I had, you know, brown skin. I didn't want people to notice that I had rheumatoid arthritis. Like I didn't, you know, I wanted to stay as skinny as possible. Like I didn't want people to notice who I really was. And it's so weird just like looking back on all of those years now. So I didn't really talk about it. And even some of my friends, you know, really tried to talk to me about it. And I just shut them off. I literally just cut them off. And what should have happened was I should have gone to therapy, but I thought that therapy was weak at the time, right? (laughs) Just so crazy. So that's my story with rheumatoid arthritis. And um, during these years, you guys, like I had no idea what confidence was. I hardly knew what courage was. Um, and I had no idea what my inner voice was, who she was, what she was up to. You know, every time I had a quote unquote gut feeling, I did not want to listen to it. Like I just, mm-mm. I was so disconnected with myself. Like I was completely disconnected with myself at that time. So, um, after I graduated, I actually got into, into teaching and I moved back to Seattle. I did a bunch of traveling. It was super fun. I went to Europe, I went to South America. That was fun. Just being able to, to travel and to like see the world and experience different cultures. And that's when I kind of got on the traveling kick. But long story short is I, I received my master's degree in, in education and teaching. And one of the reasons why I wanted to be a teacher was one, I was a psych major and I really just like people. I like the, I like the study of people and groups and I really like helping others. But one of the main reasons why I decided to be a teacher was because it was an acceptable and noble job for a woman, okay? (laughs) Like people don't even have to say that verbatim to you, but just unconsciously, or not even unconsciously, but just um, indirectly, like you know, this was like 2008, okay? You know that like being a teacher was like super noble as a woman. And you know, when I told people I was going to be a teacher, it was like, oh my gosh, that's just the, that is the greatest job and blah, 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 blah. And then when you're a mom, when you're a mom, you'll have summers off and wow, it's just so great for you. And 
you know, other people would say things like, oh, well, you have a pension and you have great health care and there'll always be a job. That'll always be a job that you'll have, right? That's kind of like what was valued. So I went into that profession because, yeah, I do like kids and I do like helping people and I do like the idea of teaching. That's all true. But I also went into it because I just wanted to like satisfy the status quo <laughs> of like one day, you know, I'll be a mom and I'll have kids and it'll be so easy, right? You know, working as a teacher and being a mom and it's an acceptable, noble job, right? And it's stable. So I went into teaching and here's the thing. I love teaching, but I also hated so much of it. And um, I kind of realized that right away. Like I was a paraeducator for a while and I loved being a paraeducator. Um, I worked with special ed and it was so fun. And then I had my own tutoring business on the side and it was great. And then when I got hired on to be a full-time classroom teacher, like talk about like being so overwhelmed. Um, I was so young at that age. I think I was like 24 or something. I was really young and, um, I was managing a classroom and managing parents. I worked in a very affluent neighborhood. And so the parents were very active in the kids' lives, which was really great. But sometimes it was like too much. Like they were, Oh, so privileged. And it was just, it, it was like too much. So I kind of feel like I first learned how to talk to um, adults and people from the corporate world, like when I was a teacher, because I had so many parent teacher conversations, like meetings, right? Um, so my experience teaching was, was overall, it was great. I really enjoyed working with the kids. I loved creating content and curriculum and I love seeing the kids grow. Um, but what I didn't like about teaching was that it was so much work. Like the state, the district, um, the federal government, like they give you so much to do. Like it's too much. Like it, you know, all the standards that the kids have to be up to, which drove me insane because standards are not equitable whatsoever. Um, so that was hard. All of the testing drove me insane. Um, you know, and just even the types of curriculum that we would choose from. I love teaching social studies. Um, but when I was a teacher, it was really hard because the curriculum was so biased. Like it was literally just like, let's just teach like, 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 like white American history. Like it was so biased. And so I would try to pull and, and grab supplemental curriculum for my students. And it was hard. And I think I said in the last episode that I wish I would have, I wish stamp from the beginning, a book like that was that I knew about was out and I would have read that. Um, so there are a lot of hard pieces to it. And and basically what had happened was I became so burnt out by this job because I was working so much and I was so underpaid. I was so underpaid in that job, even with a master's degree. And I was living in Seattle and it was like, by the time I paid my rent and by the time I paid my student loans and by the time I paid my car payment and by the time I was paying my credit card, I was like in the hole. Like I literally... I like literally didn't have any money left over. And so over time, honestly, I just built up credit card debt because I couldn't survive off of what I was making. And um, I had no confidence in myself. I didn't know who my inner voice was. I didn't know who she was. And so it was a really like down time for me, actually. It was really hard. And then um, one year, Oprah Winfrey came to town and... um, my mom and I went to, uh, go see her and she, 
I think that the, I can never remember what the tour is called. It was like your life weekend. And we went and that's, and Elizabeth Gilbert was there and all these great speakers were there. And that's when Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert was like hot during that time. Like eat, pray, love. The book was like, you know, just flying off the charts and she had just had the movie made. And it was the first time that I had really listened to speakers really talk about living the life that they want, like life by design. And that just fascinated me because as this like 20, what, seven year old now at this time, 28 year old, maybe um, I, you know, was kind of living the life for somebody else and just trying to fit in, just trying to fit into this American dream. And um, that was really the first time that I listened or I'll rephrase that, that I heard my intuition. I heard her. And she was speaking to me and it, it absolutely moved me and it terrified me because she was telling me that she was saying, you know, Jenna, you're a great teacher. You've done great things. You've been successful, but this is not for you anymore. And it was the first time I heard that like loud and clear and it's, it was correct like I can't explain it, but it was a correct voice. Like it was so confident. I had never heard anything like that before. And so months went by and at the end of the school year, I decided, you know, I wasn't going to turn, come back. And, you know, as a result, I disappointed everybody, like literally everybody. And I disappointed myself and I just went through a shame storm, like such a shame storm. And it was an awful awful feeling. I doubted myself and I questioned myself and, you know, and there was still that's just that little voice in my gut that was like, it's going to be okay. Trust it. Surrender. It's going to be okay. Right. And a few months later, I don't really tell this story often. Um, a few months later, I got hired on at this like really small startup tech company. And I was only there for like a month and a half. And I actually was fired from that job. And the reason being was because the person who ran it, like him and I did not see eye to eye. And I thought he was really great from the beginning. I think he sold me a dream and I was way too naive. I didn't listen to my gut. I was just really insecure. And I felt like I really, really needed a job to feel secure and for people to like me and to love me. And that's kind of why I took it. Um, It also did sound interesting at the time, but um, what I slowly found out was that him and I did not see eye to eye and he was not open and truthful about a lot. And so I kind of called him on a shit and (laughs) probably did it in not the most professional way. And he ended up letting me go, which honestly was the best decision ever. Um, now I look at it and I'm like, I would have done that whole thing so differently, but you know, I was young at the time I was naive. And so here we go again. I'm feeling this, this, this shame storm. And then, you know, after that, I, I, I started nannying for a family literally like two weeks later I did. And, um, it was great. I nannied for this amazing family and, uh, I had time to just process. I was so lost, like absolutely lost, completely lost. And just, I felt like an idiot. I just felt like I had such low confidence. Like it was just, it was terrible. And so nannying was actually great because it was actually the, it actually gave me more time to listen to myself because it was quiet. 
Um, especially when the person I was nannying would like take her naps during the day. She took like three hour naps. And so I would cook for this family and I love to cook. Like I wanted to cook. It was like, please let me cook. And it was like a way of meditation. Um, I got to think a lot and process a lot and really listen to my intuition. And it was like the first time I'd ever really done that. And so I'm so grateful for that moment. And I'm so grateful for that family because um, I needed that time and that space to do that. So after working with them for probably like six months, I would say, um, a lot of my friends were like, Jenna, you'd be so good in sales. You'd be so good in sales. You'd be good at recruiting. Like you'd be good in business. And honestly, I thought they were crazy because I have a master's in education and, um, I don't know. I thought they're nuts, but they kind of convinced me to look into those types of jobs. And and at the end of the day, I was actually very interested in learning corporate America and just understanding how that side worked. All I really knew was education. So I felt limited and long story short, I, I ended up getting a job, um, at a, at a corporation. Honestly, I don't know how I got it because I know I knew nothing about sales. I knew nothing about the industry. I knew nothing about Seattle's market. Like I literally knew nothing and they hired me. They took a chance and they hired me and I'm glad that they did. Um, and you know, I, the time that I was there, I just worked my butt off and, um, you know, I, on paper, I was very successful. Um, I received two President's Club Awards. Um, I paid off all my student loans, all of my debt, my car. I saved up a lot of money. I invested my money. Um, I was promoted twice into leadership, management. You know, by the time I left, I was leading one of the top teams, close to $7 million team in Seattle. It was great. I built this team. I was so proud um, of it. But and I had made some really good friendships there too. Um, so every, a lot of the things that I weren't, wasn't really getting from teaching the autonomy, the financial opportunities, um, you know, the opportunity to learn a business or, you know, um, and to build a team, like all of those things I was able to get. And so those were so amazing. And I will always be grateful that I took that role and I was always grateful to that organization. But, um, my gut was really loud during that whole time, especially after the first year. Um, and it was, it was, it was, especially after I was promoted first into management and it was loud and it basically just said, you know, you're good at this also. Um, and you've done really well and you have all of these check boxes you can check off the list, all these achievements, you've done great. Um, but this isn't it. This isn't it. Um, you know, and that made me sad because this was a job that offered so much that so many people would want, right. To be able to receive a lot of those things. Um, but it wasn't it. And, you know, at the end of the day, when I really look at the word burnout and I know that, um, Kelly Ann, uh, mental health therapist who was on my show a few weeks ago, her and I talk about this and, and burnout really is a betrayal of yourself. And, you know, it's, it's when you recognize that your values, um, do not match the company's values. And that's, that's how I, that's how I felt. I saw a lot of room for improvement in terms of 
the, um, the, the culture at the organization and ways that I could try to foster a more inclusive environment. Um, and you know, they had other items on their agenda and it was what I was. So I decided to follow my gut and follow my drive of, of just feeling so confident that there's something else out there. So long story short, I, you know, I left, um, technically about a year ago. Um, I did actually take a leave of absence first because I was so burnt out and I was so stressed out of my mind. Like literally I was having panic attacks. Like it was really bad. Um, and you know, I got that time off and I'm so grateful for that. I really am. And I decided that I, I wasn't going to return. And, um, as I was thinking about what I wanted to do, I really thought about, um, I thought a lot about starting a business and I thought a lot about my skills and my talents and what I'm passionate about. And that's when, you know, the idea of, you know, always being a teacher, right? Even though I left public school teaching, when I went into sales and when I went into leadership, um, I was still always a teacher. I was always teaching. So I said, I would love to do something where I still am a teacher. And then I love the idea of coaching. I kind of got into coaching when I became a manager and I recognized that I'd been coaching my whole life. Um, and so I love this idea of really empowering somebody else or empowering somebody to empower themselves to just do better. Um, so I knew that those two things were something that I wanted to do. I wanted to work with one-on-one clients. I wanted to do small groups. And I also wanted to go into workplace consulting at some point. Now, I had no idea what that looked like. All I knew was that I wanted to help create workplaces that were just more inclusive. So at that time, that's all I knew, right? I knew, I was very aware of the lack of diversity um, at workplaces and how incredibly racist um, and biased hiring practices are. I worked in staffing. I know how that goes. So I knew a lot of the challenges, but I couldn't really put it together. I just really envisioned myself coming in as like a consultant and working with leadership and working with staff on creating a very inclusive, warm, welcoming um like culture, right? Like really actually changing it. So that's all I knew. Um, I didn't really know where to go from from there. I had a number of people. I'm just going to call it out right now. They're mostly men um, that doubted my abilities <laughs> and questioned what I was doing. Um, and for that, I say thank you um, because they actually motivated my voice even more, my intuition to say, don't listen to them. Just keep on doing your thing. And so I did. And while I just kept listening to my voice, I also said I really just need to give myself a break too, right? Like I'm going to take this this time to enjoy life and not be on this nine to five, more like 7.30 to six grind. Like I did when I was a teacher and I did when I was in my corporate job. And, you know, I got to like spend days of like doing nothing. <laughs> like it was amazing. Like there are some days where I just like took Pierre for a walk and I like read all day and it was great. Or there are some days that I like cook something new or I like watch like two movies or there are some days, you know, where I'd go visit friends or I'd go shopping or 
I would just sleep in. Like there, I had a lot of those days of doing nothing. And here's what I learned about that. We have learned to make ourselves feel so guilty for doing nothing. Like, like, like if we, like if we don't do anything, if we just like lay around and like watch Netflix or like read, right? Like if we don't do anything, like so many people will be like, she's lazy. He's lazy. Like they're so lazy. Like you didn't do anything. Like I did this and this and this and check this, 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 like, and that's when I really realized that point that I had built such a productive life and I still am a, honestly, I'm a pretty productive person in general, but I realized that I don't want to live this life of just checklist every single day of like, okay, well now I'm going to the store, then I'm going to this store and then I'm, then I'm cleaning the bathroom and then I'm doing this and then I'm calling this and then I'm organizing this. Like I can't, I don't want to live my life that way. I want to live my life where I just am like, I just am present and I'm feeling joy and I listen to my body. My body's tired. So I want to sleep. Um, my body, you know, is anxious. So I want to move, right? Like if I'm craving outdoors, I want to go outside, you know, like I'm hungry. Then I want to make a good meal. Like it was just, it was just different. Like I just experienced a different thing. And as much as I love my friends, um, you know, sometimes I felt like there's such an obligation, a social obligation to like, got to see this friend. I got to make, you know, I got to have happy hour this day and I got to do this and I got to keep, I got to keep up, got to keep up. And, and there is an importance. Yes. You need to keep up, um, with people that you care about. I understand that there's, yes, I'm all about that. But I think for me, it was almost like, I got to do this or else I'm a bad friend. I got to do this. And instead of just listening more to my body and, and becoming available when, when, when I'm ready to be available, right. Putting up boundaries for myself. So that was huge. Um, I did a lot of traveling. It was so fun. I went to France. I went to Malta. Um, I went to Mexico. I went to New York. I went to San Francisco. I went to LA. It was so fun. And, you know, then I started this podcast, um, the last, the last week of November and, you know, the idea, the title leading with your gut, um, came to me probably a few weeks before, and it was right before I went to Europe that it came to me. And the reason why I wanted to call it that was because I was so, that was, that was the first time I felt very confident with my intuition, right? The first time I'd heard it was years ago when I saw Oprah and it had just been evolving And I was just kind of looking back on all the choices I've made with career changes and leaving jobs and leaving boyfriends and leaving friendships, um, speaking up and speaking out. And I recognize that while I am someone who loves research and I love data and I love getting the feedback from other people and asking for advice at the end of the day, when it comes to decisions for myself, it really comes down to what is best for me. And, um, I've really relied on my own inner courage and my inner confidence and my gut to really guide me, right. To really guide me to where I really want to go. And so that's where the idea of leading with your gut came from is if I lead from my gut, um, then I think I'm making the right decision, right? Versus 
always leading from from what my friends say or always leading from what my parents want. So that's kind of where it came from. And then, you know, I wanted to do interviews because I was just so curious as to what other people experienced with, with intuition and their inner voice. And so I have met so many amazing people this last year. Um, I've built friendships, um, I've learned so much about the lives of other people um, based on this podcast and I've learned so much too. And this all wouldn't have happened unless I listened to my gut. So that's where the podcast came from. And then in February, it was Karen Rockind who was on my show. And in February, she called me out. It was after we had taped the show and she flat out was like, what do you want to do? Because I told her that I was interviewing at different companies, but like, I just wasn't passionate about going back to like a nine to five and working for a company again that didn't align with my mission and my values and what I wanted to do. And she was like, you know, Jenna, you told me about coaching. You told me about teaching. You told me about consulting. And she said, so Jenna, why are you not doing these things? Um, I can see that you would be good at them. You have the background, you have the skill set. you're qualified, you know, you're, you know how to interview people. Um, you know, why are you not doing it? And I just gave her every single excuse in the book, you know, and she just like, she basically was just like, you're so full of shit, Jenna. Like you're full of shit. You are in your early 30s. You're relatively healthy. You don't have kids. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have debt. Um, like if not now, when? Like when are you? When are you going to do this? Are you just going to go back to a company that you don't want to be in just for security, or do you want to start building this now? And she was totally right. That was literally the best, probably the best piece of advice out there. So Karen Rockine, if you were listening, you literally gave me the best piece of advice probably I've, I've ever heard. So that's when I decided that I was going to start the business leading with your gut, coaching and consulting. I was so hesitant to put the consulting part on the end, but I knew that one day um, I would start consulting independently. So that's why I wanted to add on that piece. Um and so from there, I built the website and I, you know, thought about branding and marketing and my target audience and, um, you know, how I'm going to connect and, and all of these different things and what I'm going to do. I launched in May um, and here we are in August, <laughs> August 19th. And it's just really crazy to say that I am coaching one-on-one clients. I have one-on-one coaching clients. I have taught workshops. I taught workshops this summer and now I am a consultant for diversity. I know that I'm not an independent um, consultant, but I am consulting for a firm and I am so beyond grateful for this opportunity. So all of the things that, you know, I thought about when I left my old corporate job a year ago of what I wanted to do, I am doing them 365 days later. So Here's my message for all of you. I know I said earlier on vote, please vote. But um, my message for all of you is to really think about your life and to really acknowledge the fact that you are given this life regardless of how you grew up, how privileged or not privileged you are or how you grew up. 
You were given this life and you have the choice of what you want to do with it. Now, I'm not saying that it won't be hard. I'm not saying that you won't have barriers based on your background. You, There's a good chance that you will, right? Um, but if, if we really truly only live one life, if this is it, if this is all we have, then what are you doing? If you are in a job that you hate, why are you in it? If you're burnout by it, why are you in it? If you're in a relationship that is not meaningful, why are you in it? If you have friends that don't add any value to you, why do you have those friendships? Um, if, if you are someone who, you know, has never traveled, but say, I really want to travel the world. Um, I know right now is not the great time, greatest time with COVID. It's kind of put a stop to a lot of things, but say to yourself, wow, when COVID finally gets under control, whether that's like in six months or 18 months or dear God, maybe even five years from now, like, are you going to maximize on traveling? Right? So listen to what you really want. Listen to that inner voice inside of you. And if you have a hard time listening to him or her, that means that your walls and, and honestly your ego and your friends and your family and the news and social media and societal expectations and the status quo have put so many walls around you. So you don't listen to your inner voice. And that's a sign that you are not connected and aligned with who you really are. So find that voice. If you don't hear it, that means you need to get quieter, right? You need to get quieter, a lot quieter. And I know a lot of you probably have, especially if you're working from home right now, or if you unfortunately were laid off during this time, a lot of people have been listening to their inner voice more and hearing it. And it can be really scary, but that's kind of when you know you're on the right track is when you start hearing it and you're going crazy and it and it's becoming scary. So like I said, my message for you is to find your inner voice, listen to it, process it, right? Don't just make a decision all of a sudden tomorrow, but really listen to what it says and what it's guiding you to do and to embrace this life that we that we do have there's a really good meditation and i'm blanking on the name and um the person who who's guiding the this meditation or this really short talk but i found it on um um one of the meditation apps i'm totally blanking right now but um he talks about he actually talks a lot about death and he says that most people do not um, uh, do not think about death like enough, right? I don't mean to get like really kind of morbid or sad or anything, but he basically was saying that every day a million people in our world do not wake up, okay? A million people in our world do not wake up. And that means the billions of other people that did wake up, we are fortunate to have another day. We are so fortunate to have another day. And we often forget the fact that we are gifted this life and that we have no idea when it's going to end. And that is really scary, 
right, to think about. And some people actually do think about it too much and they're so fearful, which is why sometimes they'll go a whole other route. But oftentimes we forget about that. We forget about how precious life is and how anything can happen. Cancer can happen. COVID can happen, right? And if you are not experiencing joy um, throughout your life, um, you know, is there any way that you can try to? And I say this from someone who um, suffers with some with some depression and with some anxiety, right? Where you have really dark days and sad days and 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 some lows and some highs, you know. And it's really hard to pull yourself out of that. It's very challenging. Um, and you know, here's the thing is that I need to feel it. I need to feel those feelings and I need to kind of go from there instead of just having this toxic positivity mindset about everything's going to be great and everything's going to be fine. No, I need to feel it. I need to align with it. I need to get to the root of it. Right. But I think what I'm trying to say is to find the joy as best as you can in every single day and to listen to your inner voice and to do the things that you want to do and to be who you really are. For someone who has assimilated to white America my whole life, um, I'm so done assimilating to that. I just want to be who I am. I want to be liberated. I want to be celebrated as a woman. Um, I want to be celebrated as a black woman. I want to be celebrated as someone who's biracial. I want to be celebrated as someone who is curvy. I'm so done with diet culture um, European beauty standards. I just want to be me and I only want to be surrounded by people who embrace who I am. Um, and I want to live the life that I want to do. I want to do good work. I really honestly want to do good work. Um, I want to, I, I want to get paid well for my good work, right? Because my time is valuable. Um, I want to inspire other people. I want to empower people to find their own tools to empower themselves. Um, I want to keep doing this podcast because it's fun, but most importantly, I just, I want to just feel joy throughout the day. I want to be okay with having days where I do fucking nothing, um, where I do nothing and I don't care and I don't feel bad about it. I want to spend time with my dog. I love Pierre. Um, it's been, I moved in with my parents, uh, in, in May and honestly, it's been really great. I really enjoy spending time with my parents, like, I know that I won't have that in the future. And so I'm really happy to be able to do that. So listen to your inner voice, find your inner voice, listen to your inner voice, process it, embrace it, and take this time to live the life that you want to live. Don't live your life for your parents. Don't live the life for your friends. Don't live the life for society. I know a lot of you have a lot of responsibilities. You have kids, you have a mortgage, you have student loans. I understand that. Um, I know that that is hard to kind of make decisions for you, but if you could just do one thing, just one small thing that you have dreamt of or something that you really want to do that will make you happy or bring you joy. You know, it could even just be like, hey, I'm a busy mom. I have two kids. I also work full time. I'm doing a lot of the household stuff and I don't have enough time for myself. I'm listening to my body. My body is saying that I need to stop and just watch some trashy reality TV. Okay. And 
my partner has got to take the kids or I got to get someone else to watch the kids or something, right? Even if your body is just telling you that, if your body is saying, put your feet up, make some tea, you know, make a snack, like don't always cater to them. Give yourself two hours of something, even if it's just that, even if it's your body, like go leave, go put on a mask, go get your nails done, take time for you. Even if it's just something like that, the whole point is to listen to your body, to listen to your intuition. It can be as small as that, right? So listen to your body. Your body knows best. Treat your body well. Um, you know, don't, don't restrict your body with, you know, from calories or nutrition or tell your body that it's fat or ugly or not up to standard. Um, love your body, listen to your body and, you know, focus on, on the joy, focus on presence and, and focus, focus on joy. So that is, um, that is my story. I hope my message sits well with you. Um, I tell this to all my clients everyone that I work with one-on-one workshop and consulting, I say, listen, um, no one's perfect. Okay. No one's perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. The lowest standard is perfection. So I am not asking you to be perfect. You're, you're going to see all of me. You're going to see all my vulnerability. You're going to see my strengths. You might see some weaknesses. Um, we are, we're not perfect. I used to assimilate and try to be perfect all the time. I'm so over it. I'm so over being people pleaser. I'm so over assimilating. I'm so over being a perfectionist. Um, and, and I want you to just be you, to just be your authentic self, right? I don't want you to hide from, from your sadness. I don't want you to hide from your fear. Um, I don't want you to hide from your anxiety. I want you to embrace it, to embrace it. And then let's work from there. So, that's my message. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for following me um, on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter. I don't really say much on Twitter. I just retweet a lot. Um, it's Jenna R. Shellman on Twitter. Um, thanks for listening. And I um, hope you have a good and safe rest of your week. And until next time.